0: Bible reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 16 uh, verse 1 to 13. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, "The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave, perhaps I can build a family through her." Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. He said, he said, and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery." He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hands will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Um, We're kicking off a new series, uh, and it's called uh, Reframe, Rethink. I wonder if you've ever found yourself on a path in life, and you're scratching your head saying, how the heck did I get here? Like, this is not where I want to be. Maybe maybe there's some... Uh, financial complications, maybe there's some relationship breakdown, maybe there's some tensions at work. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's kind of like it feels like my wheel is in a rut and I don't know how I got into this rut and I don't know how to get out of it. it. How do you respond not just within yourself, but to God when you're in a space like that? What conversations do you have with him? What narratives do you tell yourself about why things are the way they are, where they're going, whose fault it is, how they might change? Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves in this rut and we need a voice to come and to ask questions and reframe our perspective. Well, We find ourselves in uh, Genesis 16 this morning, um, and the connecting dots between this series is about people who are in spaces, in patterns, on paths, in ruts, if you like, and God's going to come and ask them questions. A little bit like we're encouraging you to ask people who are in disruption some leading questions. Uh, It's a great ploy, and we're going to steal a leaf out of God's book, because he does that any number of times in scripture. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So it's not just Hagar who finds herself in awkward circumstances, it's actually Sarai and Abram. God's revealed himself to them at least twice, and he said, I want you to be my people, I want you to live in a way that reflects my character, I want you to be a light to the nations, and it's not just you, but it's your children and your children 's children who are going to be my people. You're going to have as many children as there are, stars in the sky and sands on the seashore. Except Hagar, sorry, um, Abram and Sarai have been trying, but they're still with our children, and they're approaching the age of being infertile and incapable of bearing children. What do you do when you're supposed to be going somewhere and you're stuck in a rut going somewhere else? Well, Sarai's response is to be proactive, to lean in. She wants to grab the wheel of fate and turn it in her direction. And so she comes up with a plan. It's a kind of a fascinating plan, to be honest. Uh, Sarai says to her husband, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, as drastic as this sounds, if you have read the previous chapter of Genesis, Abram realises there's a problem, and so he says to God, well, what about if you just kind of make one of my servants my offspring? And the name and the lineage carries on through this male servant of mine. And God says, no, no, um, you will have a biological offspring, and your name will continue through your biological offspring. So there's some merit to what Sarah's thinking here, right? Uh, And uh, a first century detail. When you own slaves, then they are your possession. And anything they produce is also your possession. So Sarah can join the dots in a way that kind of says, well, God said it's got to be your offspring, this will be your offspring. And given that... Uh, This is my slave. Anything Habar produces is kind of mine. So this kind of works. There's some logic to what she's thinking. But you can see the activism, right? Leaning in, grabbing the wheel, pulling, trying to turn history her way. Getting herself out of this rut that seems to be going nowhere. Well, she takes this suggestion to Abram. And he agrees. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Well, it kind of sounds like uh, the plan worked, doesn't it? Or not. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I got to tell you, I can't help but read this passage as a male and sympathize with Abram. He's just kind of doing his thing, right? And and suddenly his wife comes up with a plan. Hey, I've got a solution. You know, what about if you sleep with my slave and we'll call that our offspring? And he kind of goes, okay, fine, whatever. And sure enough, God chooses to bless this union and a child is born. And from the very words of Sarai, This is the response he gets. You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge you. He does what his wife suggests, and the plan kind of turns out in ways that are not unexpected, and then somehow he's in trouble, and it's his fault. Well, I thought to myself, as good as that interpretation sounds, I think I need another one. So I said to Marianne, what do you make of this passage? Can you give it to me from a woman's perspective? And Marianne had some great insights. Uh, She said to me something along the lines of, look, um, uh, Abram is the head of the house. Now, whether or not he's supposed to endorse polygamy, probably not. I think what the narrative is saying is that polygamy is problematic um, in between the lines at the least. Um, But uh, even if he goes ahead with the plan, he should be loving and honouring his wife in a way that shouts out loud and clear to the entire household, including Hagar, that his first commitment is to his wife Sarai and that nothing, including offspring will come between him and his wife. And so Sarai need not feel insecure about her status in the family, and Hagar ought not get any type of an inclination that she could be a wedge between Abram and his wife. And in that sense, Abram seems to fail. If Sarai is an activist who grabs the wheel and tries to turn it. Abram kind of sits back, and then when his wife comes and says there's a problem, he kind of wipes his hands and he kind of says, Oh, well, do with your mistress whatever you want. Your mistress, not my problem. And somehow, in the middle of this overfunctioner and underfunctioner is Hagar. And she is the most disaffected. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And then Sarai mistreats Hagar and she flees. It's a tragedy, isn't it? And Hagar finds herself in the desert, having run for her life, and she's vulnerable and exposed and an angel of the Lord finds her and he says Hagar slave of Sarai that's an odd thing for the angel to say it's almost an implicit endorsement of slavery there's an acknowledgement of her status, her lack of agency, and the mess and the brokenness in which she finds herself. But he doesn't say it's wrong. He doesn't say this is so unjust, this is so unfair, tell me about it. He says, Where have you come from? And where are you going? Two questions. Where have you come from? How have your past actions and orientations somehow contributed to the dynamic in which you now find yourself? And where are you going? How are you going to respond to this and chart a course that will find your way out of this mess and brokenness? How can you be a part of the solution? Fantastic questions. Because... So often, we find ourselves rehearsing a narrative. You know what she did to me? It's so unfair, it's so unjust. I'm a victim, I don't have any power in this. And we just replay this story over and over again, convincing ourselves that it's the truth, the whole truth, and there is no other truth. And an angel comes and invites Hagar to reframe. Where have you come from, and where are you going? And I don't think Hagar quite nails her response. I'm running from my mistress, Sarai. It's her fault. She's the one who has been unjust. She's the one who has mistreated me. I simply did what I was told. And now I'm the one who cops it and I've been chased out of town. Well, the angel has... An unexpected answer. A solution that we might not anticipate. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Go back as a slave and serve your mistress. Who mistreats you? How is that any type of solution? Surely that is nothing but an invitation to self-sacrifice, to jump back into the very rut that she's run away from and trying to escape. Just go back and submerse yourself in that again. There, of course, is a bigger picture here, right? God invites Abram and his household and his descendants to tell his story. I want you to be my people who live under my rule in my place and live out in such a way that is a light to the nations. It's an invitation to be a part of the biggest and most beautiful story there's going to be in human history. Whatever you're doing over there, come and tell my story to the nations. And Sarah's getting it all wrong. She's actually being unjust and mistreating and not trusting and trying to control and whatever else she's doing. And all of this has negative implications for Hagar. And we could excuse Hagar for thinking to herself, I've got a right to tell my own story. I'm not a slave. I'm not just somebody's vessel. I'm a person in my own right. And I've got choices to make and I've got freedoms to express. But the angel is in essence saying, whether or not Sarai is telling the story of God well, I want you to go back and to serve and to submit and to put others first the way that God loves and serves, the way that Jesus expresses humanity. You go and live and tell my story in the way that you serve the very person who's supposed to be living my story but isn't. The angel invites an Egyptian slave to not tell her story, but to tell God's story and find life to receive by giving. To not be served, but to serve. Jesus comes and finds himself on an unpleasant trajectory. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to his father, if it's possible, please take this cup of suffering away. But greater than me avoiding suffering is actually me telling your story. And whatever your will is, that's what I want to do, says Jesus. And in his human life, Jesus demonstrates and expresses the human condition as one where we love, where we serve, where we give, where we're generous, where we think not about our own needs first, but about others. And when we do that, we find life and are blessed by God. And so there's a promise here for Hagar. Go back and submit to your mistress, and I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You've got to catch what God's saying, right? He's been promising to Abraham and Sarai that your descendants, the Israelites, the Jews, they are going to be God's chosen people. They're the ones that are going to be too numerous, like the sand and the stars. But now, kind of a flip side promise is also made to Hagar. You see, uh, at this stage of the Old Testament, we really don't have the concept of eternal life yet. So how do, you, how do you have eternity? And the answer at this stage of the Old Testament is by your name being carried on by your children and your children living in a blessed state as, as a prosperous, secure nation. right? And that's what's being promised to Abraham and now to Hagar and her descendants. With a twist. Uh, You're pregnant, you'll give birth to a son, you'll call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, whose hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. I don't know how you'd feel about an angel telling you that your son was going to be like that. But she's not going to die in the desert. Her son is not going to be taken off her and somehow integrated into somebody else's family. She will have an independent, long-lasting heritage of children and her name will live on. Even though there will be conflict. There is grace amidst the brokenness. And then we read this. Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So picture Hagar, a mistreated slave, who sees that she's got no choice but to flee into the desert and potentially die. And she encounters God. She's the first person in the Bible to have an angel come and talk to her. And she's the only person in the Bible who gets to give God a name. An Egyptian slave. And what a name she gives God. The God who sees me. The God who sees the injustice that I have experienced the God who sees me despite despite the fact that I am some insignificant, powerless, owned by another person, female human being. But God sees me. God knows. God cares. God will bless me. I don't know what kind of a rut you're in. I don't know what kind of an interaction you had with your family over Christmas. But God sees you. God knows. And God invites you to respond by telling his story. There's something counterintuitive about serving. As Hagar returns to Sarai, she will somehow be liberated from mistreatment, not by the mistreatment disappearing but because she's no longer defined or owned by it, but rather she can give of herself freely and serve. And that's what Jesus has done for you and for me, no matter how we treated him. And that's what Jesus invites you to do for others. And that is your path to walk in the resurrected freedom that Jesus has won for you. And so it's New Year's Eve and it's the time where we begin to think about resolutions. I wonder if you're somebody who likes to make New Year's resolutions. If you're somebody who likes to grab the wheel of fate and turn it in the direction that you think it ought to go in 2024? Well, if that's you, I want to say that's not all bad. In James, we read that it's nothing wrong with making plans, The mistake is to not pray if the Lord wills before you make your plans. But there's nothing wrong with planning. But, consult in ways that Sarah doesn't. Think about the unintended consequences of some of your plans. Because often, Today's solution begets tomorrow's problem. And tomorrow's problem can become bigger than today's solution. And don't think about your plans in terms of how do I get fate to turn my way, but actually how can I give, how can I be generous, how can I serve? Make your plans that way. Perhaps you're somebody who doesn't really like making New Year's resolutions. You might be thinking to yourself, I'd be kind of happy for just a quiet, content 2024. Life has been difficult enough for the past couple of years, let alone trying to flog myself uh, and fix something else up. And I, you know, well, perhaps this narrative has got some reflections and some insights for you. Abraham doesn't particularly make any plans, but it doesn't mean he gets a quiet year. Events happen in and around us, and we need to be intentional and proactive about how we respond. Or perhaps you're somebody who, like Hagar, feels stuck and you're rehearsing a narrative about mistreatment and injustice and the only solution you can think is to run away and hide. There can be a lot of truth to that story there can be a lot of real injustice behind and around that story that could be cited as evidence. But perhaps the angel of God is inviting you to ask a couple of reframing questions As you set a course for 2024, where are you? And where are you going? And how is it that you can find life by going and serving others? Let's pray. Jesus, if we find ourselves trapped by the narrative that we're telling and retelling ourselves, we want to hear the reframing questions that you ask of Hagar, and we wanna ask them of ourselves. and we want to hear the unexpected solution. But we also, Jesus, wanna see you and see the way that you expressed the character of God in your life. We wanna see the hope that you embodied and the resurrected life that you won and the invitation for us to take up our cross and to follow you and to find life by dying to self and living for you. May that be our story in 2024. Amen.